0: Now, as we turn now to scripture, let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word and that his word would speak the truth that we need in our lives. Um, This morning, he's got a great, great encouragement for us. Heavenly father, we come before you and Lord, as we turn to your word and, and, and we look at it, father, we know that your word instructs us. We know that your word cleanses us. Father, we know that your word calls us out when it needs to. And Father, we also thank you that your word is an encouragement to us, Father God, that you are not a God who only sits to tell us that we don't measure up, that we don't fit, but Lord, that you want to encourage us that it is through you that we can live, find our being. So Lord, as we, as we read chapter four here in Zechariah, I pray that we would understand the vision for the time in which it was given but also, Lord, that the word that you're speaking to us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if I were to tell you guys about burnout or stress, we all understand what that means, right? Stress and burnout plague many, and many are always, we're always on the lookout to prevent And avoid stress and burnout, right? Because we know that those are bad things for us. Um, And stress and burnout, it doesn't just plague you in in the job fields, in the work field, but it also comes home and it's in relationships. But maybe you're not aware of this, but it's also in ministry. Many, when they're called by God into ministry, and I can relate to this, it includes pastors and missionaries and the like, but it's any calling from the Lord, whether you're called to worship, whether you're called to serve, it doesn't matter where you're called. But many, when they're called, they're not thinking about what is the totality of the undertaking. We think of the good times. We think of the good things that we like about it, but we never think about, well, what what are the downsides in that area of ministry? Where Where's the challenges in that? And so as we go into it, all of a sudden, you know, that... Um, the, the glow of, oh, this is going to be the most awesome thing ever. And then when you, like, if you ever get involved in church leadership, then you get to see the other side of how church looks. It's kind of like when you go to Disneyland, everything looks great at the front. But if you were to go around behind everything, it, it loses its appeal because then you see what it really is. It's all just dressed up. And so... um We're not thinking about those undertakings or how we're gonna go. How where are we gonna get the energy for the day-to-day? We're not thinking about how many days in a row am I gonna have to do this? How many weeks in a row am I gonna have to do this? And so we start getting knee deep in it and we start to feel like Peter, right? Peter got up and he got out of the boat and he went out where Jesus called him. And then all of a sudden, Peter starts looking around and he goes, wait a minute, how'd this happen? Wait wait a minute. Now the wind and the waves and all that stuff's going on around me. And, And he starts to doubt and he starts to stress out and he starts to think. And we could relate to Peter, right? We start going, why did I ever get out of the boat? And we start going, there's the boat right there. If I could just get back in the boat, I'll never get out of it again. we become very, very aware of our personal inadequacy for the calling. Now, our text will not delve into all the intricacies and the complex issues of stress and burnout, but it is going to give us principles and exhortation to help us against spiritual burnout. The enduring, staying power that each of us needs. So Zechariah's fifth vision speaks to encourage Zerubbabel Last week, we looked at an encouragement to Joshua as high priest. Now we're going to look at Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the one who's called to lead the people in the building effort to continue and finish the work that God has called them to. And he says, you're going to finish this work, not by looking around you, because that's where we all mess up, right? We start looking around us. What's going on around me? What, what are the things happening around me? And it starts to dis- discourage us, and, but we need to learn to look to God. And we need to learn to depend upon God because when we depend on the wrong things, oh, is everything going well? Does my job pay me well? Is my job taking care of me? How's everything in my family? Are we all getting along? Like when we start going, well, that's out. So that means I'm going to stop serving here because not everything is nice, easy, and calm. When we depend on the wrong things, that's when we get burnt out. When you depend on the wrong things and you look to the wrong things as you're doing God's work, that's when you get burnt out doing God's work. And so starting in verse one of chapter four, the angel who was speaking with me then returned and roused me as one awakened out of sleep. And he asked me, he says, what do you see? And I replied, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top. The lampstand has seven lamps at the top with seven spouts for each of the lamps. There are also two olive trees beside it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other is on the left. And then the angel, and then I asked the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? Don't you know what they are? Replied the angel who was speaking with me. And I said, no, my Lord. So he answered me. He said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. What are you great mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain and he will bring out the capstone accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Zerubbabel's hands have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you for who despises the day of small things. These seven eyes of the Lord, which scan throughout the whole earth, will rejoice when they see the ceremonial stone in Zerubbabel's hand. And I asked him, What are the two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And I questioned him further. And what are the two streams of the olive trees from which the golden oil is pouring through the two golden conduits? And then he inquired of me, Don't you know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. There's some awesome signs here that were for Zerubbabel. But as we've been going through our series majoring in the minors, we remember and we know that what God has spoken long ago, God continues to speak to today, doesn't he? His first encouragement is that God's work requires God's spirit. As we go back through the first seven verses, there's so much there. The angel who was speaking with me, Zechariah, then returned and roused me as one awakened out of sleep. And he asked me, what do you see? And that's when Zechariah says, I see a solid gold lampstand and a bowl at the top. Then the lampstand has seven lamps at the top with seven spouts for each of the lamps. He says, there's also two olive trees beside it, one on the right and the other on the left. And he says, what are these? And then the angel goes, don't you know what they are? he says, no, I don't. And so his answer was this, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And so we know that this message is an exhortation for Zerubbabel. And he says, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. What are you great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain And he will bring out the capstone accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. So Zechariah is now on his fifth vision. And I don't know if you caught this, but he had to be roused out of sleep. When you see a vision from the Lord, it's often very tiring. It's very wearying. In fact, these visions had exhausted Zechariah, much like the divine visions and their understanding wearied Daniel. If you go back and you read in Daniel chapters 8 and 11 and and 12, you see that Daniel also was wearied by the visions. And so when, when the Lord comes and he gives you visions and whatnot, it's going to be a tiring thing. And so as the angel rouses Zechariah, he says, what do you see? He says, I see a golden lampstand. Now think of the lampstand that would be in the tabernacle, the temple, the menorah. And then at the top of that, there's a bowl. And the lampstand has seven lamps at the top. And each lamp has seven spouts. And then there's two olive trees on the right and on the left. Now this vision... Is continuing and it's in the context of priestly ministry. The lampstand, similar to the lampstand, as I said, in Israel's tabernacle. But here's the thing the tabernacle lampstand, as it was there, it had to be filled with oil by the priests. That was probably one of the main duties of the priest. They had to watch it and they had to constantly fill it. But this lampstand seems to be filled automatically. Without human agency. The bowl is suspended over the lampstand, and the oil is transported by gravity from the bowl through the seven channels to each of the seven lamps. That's 49 conduits for you math wizards out there. And it's fed from the trees themselves. It makes sense, as they consider the work being done as the building of the temple, that the vision itself would incorporate images of the temple. And it's interesting, Zechariah himself, being of the priestly line and a prophet, familiar with the ins and outs of the temple, but as he sees this vision, the angel keeps asking him, don't you know what these are? That's why he keeps asking him, don't you know what these are? Because he's familiar with the going on of the temple. And he says, no, it's, it's foreign to me. This, in the temple, we fill the lamp. In the temple, we take care of this stuff. And so that's where the angel comes to it. This is the word to the Lord, the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is tasked with rebuilding. And by this point, he's overwhelmed by the task. The people are discouraged. He's discouraged. He's going, man, this task is a huge undertaking. The last temple was built by Solomon and all the king's men and all the king's horses and all the king's resources. And here's Zerubbabel, not even a king, but here's the message from the Lord, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies, God's work would only, and could only be accomplished by the power of the spirit of God. You see, for God's work to be accomplished, it requires his supernatural power. It requires his supernatural endurance. Maybe you're here this morning and you can relate to this because you found yourself trying to do it in your own power and you get worn out and you get tired. Did you know that God's work, it has a satisfying, tiring quality to it. It does not have a burnt out quality to it. If you're starting to get burnt out, it's because you're not going in his power. You're doing it in your own. No amount of human resources would ever amount to anything in the work of God. God says not the resources of many, not by strength, not the strength of many together, and not by power, not even by your own power, not even by one. It doesn't matter how great you think you are compared to other men. God says you can't do it. But by my spirit and my spirit alone. Spurgeon says, "O churches, take heed lest ye trust in yourselves. Take heed lest ye say we are a respectable body. We are a mighty number. We are a potent people. Take heed lest ye begin to glory in your own strength. For when that is done, Ichabod shall be written on your walls and your glory shall depart from you. Remember that he who was with us when we were few must be with us now that we are many or else we must fail. He who strengthened us when we were as little Israel must be with us now that we are like the thousands of Manasseh or else it all over with us and our day is past. Now the spirit of God is represented by the oil. And it's fitting. Here's the benefits of oil. Oil lubricates. There's little friction and wear among those who are lubricated by the spirit of God. Oil heals. You see, back in those days, oil was used medicinally. The spirit of God brings healing. The spirit of God brings restoration. Oil is also used to light. It lights when it's burned in a lamp and where the spirit of God is, there is light. Oil is also warming as you use it as a fuel or for a flame, the spirit of God, there's warmth, there's comfort. Oil invigorates. Oil can be used to massage. Holy spirit invigorates us for his service. Oil also adorns Oil is, is the uh, base ingredient for many of the perfumes and, and, and products out there for fragrances and whatnot. And oil also polishes. It is used to shine metal. And the Holy Spirit wipes away our grime, smooths out our rough edges as he continues to mold us, shape us into the image of Christ. In God's power, notice what God says. He says, who are you, mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will be made as a plain. In God's power, the mountain that gives Zerubbabel trouble, the mountain, whatever his doubts, whatever his fears, whatever the the, um, difficulty towards his problem, the setback, the discouragement, all of those stand as mountains in his way. And it's leveled by the finishing work of God's spirit. Isaiah 44, every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. Then it says, he will bring out the capstone, the final stone, the finishing piece. He will complete the work accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. You see, God is declaring in his power, the work will be finished. And empowered by him, Zerubbabel will be the one to finish it. Many times we set off to start a work. And when it gets difficult, we want to retreat back and say, Oh, God's going to finish it with somebody else. God is going to use somebody else. That's why it's difficult for me. Anybody else can step in here and it's going to be easy for them. My brothers and sisters in Christ, that's not true. But what we need to do is stand strong in the spirit of God and trust in his power to level those mountains. Here's two truths about God's work. God's work invites mountains. God's work invites problems but God's work also seems impossible or it progresses slowly, right? We get so frustrated with the pace of God's work, but it requires his power if we want to finish it. We also need to know God's work starts with small beginnings. We're so used to it it starting off different ways, right? I mean, when we have a race, it starts off with a bang, with a gunshot. When they're rebuilding stuff, you remember when they were building the, uh, the stadium downtown? Remember what they did? It started off with the demolition of the old city building. Then you remember how long the stadium took to build? That building came down, what, in one day? Stadium took a long time says then the word of the Lord came to me Zerubbabel's hands have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will complete it then you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you for who despises the day of small things these seven eyes of the Lord which scan throughout the whole earth they will rejoice when they see the ceremonial stone in Zerubbabel's hand he says Zerubbabel's hands have laid the foundation and his hands will complete it. You see, with God's spirit, we are not only able to start the work, but we're able to finish it as well. In Philippians 1.6, one of the greatest promises, especially to us in the New Testament, I am sure of this, that he, God, who started a good work in you, will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. My brother and sister in Christ, I want you to be encouraged in this. Not only are you as a work in Christ Jesus, we're not finished this side of glory, are we? But you know what? The promises is, is that we will be finished on the other side of glory. He's not going to leave us as half done works. He's not going to leave us as a project started only to be abandoned. God is a finisher of work and he accomplishes what he says he will. And he says, and by that, you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. When Zerubbabel finishes the work, Zechariah is saying, you will know that the Lord of armies sent me to you because I spoke truth. I spoke the prophecy. Not someone else, not Zerubbabel part two, not someone like Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Will finish the work. He will put the capstone. He says, "Who despises the day of small things? Did you know that you cannot tell the size of a work by its beginning? Anybody who's done any home improvement, any renovations that starts off and goes, "Oh, it's just this." And the next thing you know, you have all the walls in your house torn out? You're like, what happened? Well, I had this one little problem that led to this problem that led to that, right? Small beginnings, massive undertaking now. The answer is, do not despise the day of small things. You see, those small things allow us to learn without large ramifications for mistakes. Don't despise small things. Just consider it all is just a day, right? The day of small things. Whatever it is in your life, the day of small things—it's a season to God. It's a season used for shaping. It's a season used for preparation. Zerubbabel in in the day of small things—it's a small task. It's a—it's an inferior temple to what they had before. But you know who's going to be dedicated in that temple? Christ. Small beginnings. It's Satan who tempts us to despise small things. It's Satan who says, oh, look, he doesn't even trust you for the big works. He gave you this, this menial task, this little itty bitty thing that you have to do. You're not important enough. He doesn't trust you. You know why Satan wants us to despise the day of small things? Because it's from the small things that God brings that he does great things. The Bible records the history of God constantly using small beginnings. You see, a nation, it began with Abraham. When he wanted to bring about the plan of salvation, it started with a child, Isaac. When God wanted to overthrow Egypt, he started with a baby in a basket in the Nile River. God uses small beginnings and great works because although he could do it himself, although he could give shortcuts, his work in our life is just as important as the work he wants to do through our life. You are not just a means to an end with God. You are the end. He sent his son to die on the cross, to, to uh have that salvation to to purchase that for you God uses powerful seasons of small things and and those are days they they're not a mistake and the other thing is they're not a punishment either you're not doing small things because God is punishing you These are the days of priceless shaping and press preparation also perspiration <laughs> preparation. They are not days to despise. You see, it says that he, he, who despises the day of small things. And it says the seven eyes, those are the eyes of the Lord, the perfect seeing eyes. Those are the eyes of omniscience, the eyes that see the beginning from the end, that see the middle, the details, everything, how all the paths lead together This is how they see the last piece of the project is in Zerubbabel's hands already. And then look at what else it says, that he rejoices when the last piece is in his hand. Did you know that God rejoices as you complete work? Boy, does that change the outlook on things. He rejoices to see us complete the work. You know what that means? He's going to help us complete the work. He's not going, man, I I wonder if they're going to finish it. Let's see. I can't wait to find out if they're able to do it or not. And he says, I can't wait to see them finish and I'm going to help them get there. God delights in the work that we're doing. And he delights to see it completed. You see the completion of the temple, as I said, it's a piece to the coming of the Messiah. This insignificant temple in comparison to Solomon's, it's part of the ongoing triumphant work of God. If I had to illustrate it, it would be like this. It's like the honeybees, right? Small, insignificant creature bothers the heck out of us but it's created by the Lord. It has the huge task. Its huge task is to cross-pollinate 30% of all of our crops and 90% of all plants themselves. This is done through a simple job. It's not the bee in his mind going, man, I have to cross-pollinate all these plants. It's the bee having the job of building a hive and making honey that the greater work gets done. I think God perhaps created the bees to help us to see the importance of small things and doing just a simple job in doing just a simple day-to-day living as Christians in the power of God. When David fought Goliath, how did he get there? He brought lunch to his brother's. When the 5,000 were fed by Jesus, it started with a boy with five loaves and two fish. He's probably upset because as he was leaving, he wanted to get out. He's like, this guy Jesus is going to be here. I'm going to go where he's at, and i got to go. And his mom says, don't forget your lunch. He's like, oh, mom, come on. And then the whole time she's going... Why do I even bother making him a lunch? She's all upset about that. And that lunch that she made, if she had known it was going to feed 5,000, how much more would she have done with it? You see, the miracles of God are hidden in insignificant tasks. It's hidden in everyday faith and prayer. When, Jesus had his disciples in the temple, and the widow came, and she gave her two mites. And God used it, and he spoke to his disciples, and he says, she gave more. I want you to understand the truth in that. No sincere act of worship or service is ever overlooked by God. The seeing eyes of God see it all. And Jesus also taught us that the one who can be trusted in the small things can be trusted in big things also. If you can't be faithful in in the day of small things, you'll never be trusted and you'll never be used for the big things. In Matthew 25, 21, the the parable of the talents and the servants at the end, remember his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And in Luke 16, Jesus said, Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, Who will give you what is your own? Job. There's some wisdom in the book of Job. It says, even if your beginnings were modest, your final days will be full of prosperity. This is Job. He had much. Much was taken from him. And then at the end, remember, much was restored to him because he was trusted in it. He was trusted in it. Never, ever, ever allow yourself to be influenced by the evaluations of men. Why are you doing that? That's not an important job. Why are they only having you do that? That they don't value you. God is only doing that. It's because he doesn't trust you. Don't let them evaluate it because... Man's eyes are not perfectly seeing and they evaluate poorly. That's why God said to Samuel, Humans do not see what the Lord sees. Because humans see what's visible, right? We're always looking at the cover, we're always looking at the outside. Disneyland is fun because we see the outside. If we saw the other side, it would be like, wow, what a dump. I mean, think about it. The Tower of Babel, that was impressive. God despised it. How many huge, too huge to fail ministries and ministry personalities have there been in which God shined a light and exposed a truth? But on the other side, you have Noah who built an ark. Others watched and they saw it and they said, what are you doing? How dumb. Nathaniel almost missed the Lord because of his origins being in Nazareth. When he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What about George Mueller? He started with a pure desire of prayer and to see God work. They called him independent, a rebel and a fanatic. And then in those days, those weren't good terms. By the end of his life, he was used to build five orphanages. He was providing for over 2,000 orphans simply through prayer and faith. When he was 71, he started out on a series of missionary trips to Europe, Asia, and America. He traveled 200,000 miles, preached in 42 countries, and kept up this pace until he was 88. He died at 93. And the day before he died, he's still handling orphanage correspondence. Hudson Taylor, they ridiculed him when he dared to go to China alone, let alone without the guarantee of support. You see, men have a way of despising what is small. Here's the protection to keep from despising small things. Ask the Lord for eyes of faith, to see what he sees, not what everybody else sees. Galatians 6.9 has a promise for us. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. I think one of the most important things that God may want to speak to us this morning is to let us know that he values people over institutions. Did you know that God didn't die for any institutions? He died for people. Zechariah says, I asked him, what are the two olive trees on the right and the left side of the lampstand? And then I questioned him even further. And he said, what are the two streams from the olive trees? And what, which the golden oil is pouring through and the two golden conduits. And he says, don't you know what these are? And he said, I no. And he says, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So you got an olive tree on the right and on the left. And he inquires about the two streams and the golden oil. And the angel says, don't you know? And he says, no, this whole thing, haven't I told you? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Change Zechariah's name to, I don't know. He says, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Jeremiah 33 had a prophecy from the Lord where God said, it moved my... Nope. All right. I don't have Jeremiah in there. I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 33 verse 17. It says, for this is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man sitting on the throne of the house of Israel. The Levitical priests will never fail to have a man always before me to offer burnt offerings and burn grain offerings and to make sacrifices. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that the day and night cease to come at their regular time, then my covenant with my servant David may be broken. If that could happen, then he would not have a son reigning on his throne and the Levitical priests would not be my ministers. But even as the stars of heaven cannot be counted and the sand of the sea cannot be measured, so too I will make innumerable the descendants of my servant David and the Levites who minister to me. What he's saying is his two chosen anointed will continue forever. As long as there is night And as long as there is day, God's work is done through kings and priests. And before you celebrate and say, woohoo, that's not me. Understand that you are a royal priesthood. Doubly charged to be used by God. You see, his kings and his priests that he has ordained and and anointed for that work will soon be unified into a Messiah who is both king and high priest. You see, the lampstand is typifying of Israel. Israel's the light to the nations. That was what God's holy calling was for the nation of Israel. Isaiah 42 verse 6. I am the Lord and I have called you for a righteous purpose and I will hold you by your hand and I will watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. In 49 verse six, he says, it's not enough for you to be my servant raising uh, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations and to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, Joshua is the high priest and Zerubbabel is the king in in that sense. They are the ones represented here, but they're merely branches off those trees. The trees are the kings and the priests of all time. And God has a special work for these anointed ones. And they're anointed to work uniquely together. And as we go through the history of God working, doesn't he work in pairs? Moses and Aaron, Joshua and Caleb, Elijah and Elisha, Peter and John, Paul and Barnabas, Calvin and Luther, Whitfield and Wesley, Moody and Sankey. But it goes beyond that. Because God has promised to raise up two more. Two more witnesses who will preach prior to Christ's return. Revelation 11. It says, I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1260 days dressed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. That word anointed ones are literally sons of oil sons of the Holy Spirit in Hebrew idioms the son of something is radically characterized by that thing how did the trees supply the oil it came out of the trees directly real ministry is the giving of ourselves to the work of God and for God to use you see, people are the most important part of the program of God. The temple, the lampstand, the furniture, the fixtures, the building itself, what fueled the lamp what, what fueled the lampstand. It's the trees themselves. It's God pouring His spirit into us and us pouring ourselves out for Him to be used as a vessel, however He chooses. That is what it means when it says, "Here I am, Lord." the trees themselves now the temple needed the lampstand but the lampstand needed the oil peter c craigie remarks he says the church as an institution is never enough no anonymous organization will by itself transform the world people are always needed for through them the life and light of god may flow And as Joshua and Zerubbabel had a part to play, so too the church depends for its vitality upon both the clergy and the laity. You see, this vision teaches spiritual power is needed, but it also teaches that spiritual power is provided for the work to be finished. The previous previous vision that we saw taught that the cleansing was needed and the cleansing was provided. And now we see that the power is needed and the power is provided. And I'm no mechanic, but I do know this. You can't run a car without oil or you'll burn up the engine. Share a small story about that. I had a old car. It had about 200,000 miles on it. I was 19. And this is where I learned the importance between Do you pay for gas or do you pay for the oil? (laughs) Gas can get the car going, oil will keep the car going. I chose gas and I threw a rod. And that car gave up the ghost. See, I'm a pastor, but I also know that you can't serve the Lord without the continual supply of the oil of God's spirit or you'll burn out. I'm a pastor not because of anything of me, but because he provides the power, the strength for that, the continuing day after day after day. Praise the Lord, we've been at it for almost nine years. But I tell you, when he called me, I wasn't thinking, how am I going to do that for 52 weeks a year, nine years, or however many years, 40 years, however long He gives me. I just go, Lord, I need you for this week. Lord, I need you for this day. Lord, I need you for right now. The solution to burnout is not to quit working, not to quit working for the Lord, not to quit being His lampstand. Because working for the for the Lord and being his lampstand, that's the greatest thing that you can do with your life. That is the way to ensure that your life lives beyond you. The work of God is not completed by our human ingenuity. So if you're sitting there going, I just don't have the mind for it. Great. God can use you. I don't have the drive for it. Great. God will give that to you. See, God's work is completed by the spirit of God. Human effort without the supply of oil will burn itself out. But God's work done in God's way never lacks provision, never lacks power. And here's the thing that we have to come to grips with we have to open ourselves continually to the supply of God's Spirit. A woman once asked D.L. Moody, Why do you talk so often about the need of being filled with the Holy Spirit? You're always stressing the need to be filled again and again and again. Why isn't once enough to be filled? Moody replied, I leak. We can all relate, right? We leak. Because the truth of the matter is every Christian receives the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. That's what we learn in Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, that as we come to Christ, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But we have to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit continually, not quenching the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit continually, repeatedly, depending upon him. In this vision, we see the angel awakens Zechariah from sleep and then directed him in the vision by asking what he saw. Later, Zechariah has to ask twice regarding the meanings. And we see that the trees provided a continual flow of oil to the lamp so that they didn't burn out. All these features are designed to show us that we have to depend on God alone and that we must do so continually. God provides the power. God finishes the work. And where God provides the power, God will finish the work. God called Zerubbabel and Joshua, he calls them the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord, a noble title. Joshua and Zerubbabel received the empowering spirit of God and kept the light of Israel's work and witness burning. The spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. My brothers and sisters in Christ, there are no small things in God's hands. God is glorified in small things and he uses small things to accomplish great things. All so-called small things, they're linked directly to God's ongoing triumph and victory in the final day. There's no small places, there's no small ministries, and there are no big preachers. And F.B. Meyer, in his book, The Prophet of Hope, observes that the wick is dependent on the source of oil moment by moment. It has no storehouse, it has no backup supply. It's always on the edge of bankruptcy, but always supplied. Abundant supply of God's spirit as you do his work. Have you checked your spiritual dipstick lately? You see, Israel and the church have both been tasked with the privilege of shining God's glorious light in this dark world. Israel has lost that privilege temporarily. But they will once again have it in the day in which God is pouring out his wrath upon the earth. They will have it once again in that time when Christ returns. Satan schemes the world's plots. They've tried to extinguish the light, not only of Israel, but also of the church. The world tried to eliminate Israel first, and now in these days, they want to eliminate the church. Both continue to exist because God is the one who sustains them through the olive trees. As I said, Jesus Christ is the high priest, and he is the king of kings. The church doesn't survive because of Clever programs, ingenuity of men. Doesn't even survive on goodwill and definitely not on government policy. Movie makers, educators, not even the church's own leaders. It's entirely dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ who died for her. And the promises is one day he's coming to put the capstone in place. And then when the redeemed of both Israel and the redeemed of the church see that capstone of salvation dropped into place, they will shout together, grace, grace. And they will know then as never before that their presence in heaven is all due to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you and Lord, we just thank you so much for this vision and the, and the meaning for which Zechariah gave and, and, and just what you were speaking to Zerubbabel, Lord. And Father, I pray now and I invite all as the worship team comes up to to sing this last song, that during this song, Father God, that you would speak to us in our hearts, that you would move in our spirit, Father, to bring us to you. Are we doing the work in our own strength? What are we trusting in? What are we looking to to determine the importance of what we're doing? Lord, I pray that you would call us to come and once again, just lay ourselves before you and say, here I am, Lord. Use me as you see fit. Father, I repent of desiring to bigger things. Lord, just help me to trust in things that you have me in. Help me to trust you for the the strength, the energy, and the power for it, Father God. Father, for those who don't know, haven't been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pour out your spirit. I pray that you would call them to your kingdom, Father God, that they would come to the foot of the cross of Christ, give their lives to Christ, ask for forgiveness that is provided through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. That they would be filled with the spirit, empowered for your work, Father God. Lord, we long for the day to see that capstone put in place where we will shout grace, grace. We look forward to it in Jesus' name. Amen.